The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
It is the glorious presence of Jesus that my heart is hungry for. The glorious presence of my Lord and my Savior. I am hungry for Jesus. We're going to talk about that today. Manna. Jesus said he was the bread of life. What does that mean? How do we eat bread of life? Surely it's not speaking about physically eating. It is spiritually eating. But what does that mean? And what does that look like? To help us set a base of understanding, I want to share with you what I shared yesterday with the National Prayer Chapel as we gathered in my living room. But before I do, I want to thank especially those who gave this week. Richard, you always write these wonderful, wonderful letters, and I read them with great interest. Thank you for your donation, your offering to Jesus. And Alan, thank you on PayPal for your offering to Jesus. Antonio, thank you, brother. I treasure your giving. Let me tell you where we're at. This is the last week of January. And we are $2,600 short. Now you may say, Pastor, you've never been that short before in a month. You're right. But one of our donors, an out-of-state donor, he and his wife every month gave $1,500. And if we were... In a very slim month, he would even give 2000 or even $2,500. He wanted to keep this radio broadcast on the air. But his situation, his financial situation, has totally changed, and he's no longer able to continue that giving. Both finances and family crisis have caused him and his wife to have to pull back. So we face $2,600, $2,600. I shared this on Sunday, and after the service, two of my elders urged me not to do an offertory this week, but instead to stand by faith that Jesus would provide the full amount. And so we prayed together, believing and standing by faith that Jesus would provide the entire $2,600 so that we could remain on the radio. We also prayed, Lord, if it's your will that we go off of the air, we'll do that in obedience to you. But our belief is that right now is such a crucial time in the body of Christ that this broadcast is needed more today than it has ever been needed. A straight, unvarnished word calling you to repent, to righteousness, and to holiness. So if you'd like to help with this 2,600, or if you'd like to cover with the other brother covered of 1,500 a month, or if you'd like to cover the whole amount, 2,600, or if you want to give just $10, $5, $1, whatever you are prompted by the Spirit, to give if this broadcast is of value to you. Would you reflect that by giving that gift to Jesus? So the phone number is 877-534-0780. That's 877-534-0780. And Drew will answer the phone. He'll give you whatever information you need. We don't need your name or your phone number. Just the amount Jesus is calling you to give. So I'm going to teach this week and stand by faith that Jesus is going to move and cover this entire $2,600. Now let's pray. Lord, I didn't come on this radio broadcast out of human will or human flesh. 
you provided for the first month, the second month, the third month, you just kept providing through brothers and sisters who said this message must go out over Washington, D.C. So, Lord, I just stand by faith today that we will remain. I don't waver in that faith. I rejoice in you, Jesus. And I thank you. I thank you for each who will give and each who has given this month, Leslie and Tom and Hazel, so many others. Lord, thank you. We bless your holy name for each of them. So, Lord, as we face this almost $4,000 bill with 2600 still remaining, I put it in your hands, rejoicing. Thank you that brothers and sisters have an opportunity to share in the work of the gospel. Thank you, Lord. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Now, there are three key words that we need to understand in order to really get to the depth of what Jesus meant when he said, I am the bread of life. The first key word, and you're going to hear these three key words as they begin to be preached across America. You're going to hear pastors in their pulpits begin to pick up these three words. We're praying for a tsunami of the presence of God in America. Now, these three words are the three anchor words. Let me share them with you. Please jot them down. Pray over them. The first word is righteousness. It comes from the Greek word. No, I'm sorry. Let me go back. The first word is repentance. Of course it is. Repentance is the first word. And repentance means to turn totally from what I am now doing to do something entirely different. It means a change of mind. Jesus came in Mark preaching repentance. The disciples were sent out to preach repentance. Peter, John, they preached repentance. Paul preached repentance. The first word of the gospel is always to repent. That is, to turn and change what you are doing. It's not a casual thing. It comes out of a deep conviction brought upon by the Holy Spirit. If you remember, as I've shared with you, the story of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, Christian is reading the scriptures, and as he reads the scriptures, deep conviction begins to settle in his heart. Now, the scriptures are the logos of God. There is the scripture logos of God. Jesus is the true logos. And then there is the rhema, the breathed word of God, by the Holy Spirit that is the, the Logos. Logos means the idea behind the creation of whatever is. The idea and the power behind the creation of anything that is. That is Jesus Christ. He is the creator. Colossians, the first chapter. Hebrews, the first chapter. The Gospel of John, the first chapter. Jesus is the prime mover of creation. Everything that has been created was created by Jesus, by his word. He is the Logos. Now, this Logos requires repentance. Because, and I'll share more in just a moment, we are in the wilderness of sin. This world is the wilderness of sin. Now, the second word that becomes 
absolutely essential is the word righteousness. The word righteousness comes from dikasune, the Greek word. It means literally to be innocent. Now, often in the Bible, in the New Testament, it will translate righteousness or dikasune as justification. That is a a misunderstanding. In the Old Testament, you were declared righteous, but in the New Testament, you are made righteous as a free gift of God, not imputed, but imparted righteousness, real righteousness. Now, some of you have said, but pastor, the word is imputed in in our Bible. Well, they mistranslated it. Look at another translation. You have to examine a number of translations to begin to understand the true meaning of the text and always in context. So righteousness or dikasune means to be innocent, to be made righteous. So you have repentance, a change of mind, a change of behavior, a total transition. And then you have being made righteous by Jesus. And then you have a third word. And that third word is holiness. Holiness literally means purity. If you Google the word purity, you will find it will say purify, set apart, sacred. So, the Christian goes through a through a three-step process. He comes in repentance. He changes his behavior and moves to righteousness. And the Holy Spirit purifies him, changes him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So let's talk about this wilderness of sin. If we look at Exodus, the 16th chapter, we find that one and a half months after they left Egypt and the slavery, the cruelty, the persecution of Pharaoh on their lives, even killing their children, a month and a half away, they have seen such incredible things. They've seen the plagues strike Egypt and spare them. They have seen the total deliverance at the Red Sea, where the Egyptians are cast into the depths of the sea, but the children of Israel walk through on dry ground. They've seen the Lord in Mara sweeten the water. Now as they continue on, They come to Elam, and there they can rest under the springs, under the palm trees. It's a wonderful place, but it's a short-term place. They move on from there, and they enter into the wilderness of sin. It is aptly named We find this in the 16th chapter of the book of Exodus. As they enter into this desert or wilderness of sin, they have used up in the month and a half all of the food that they carried with them on this journey. And now they are facing imminent starvation. It is a severe crisis. Now Moses knew that there was no food in the desert. He knew that God would have to move in miraculous power to deliver the people of Israel. (laughs) I know today God has to move in your hearts in miraculous power or this radio broadcast will starve to death and we'll be off the air. I don't believe that's going to happen. I stand by faith that even as God led these children of Israel into this desert, into this place that appeared that they were going to die, 
He's led me in the same way. And I'm not going to die. I'm going to live. This broadcast is going to live. You're going to live if you walk by faith and you trust Jesus for what he's doing in your life. You will live because the Lord, his arm is not too short and he's always faithful. You can trust Jesus. Now, I'm facing things in my life that I have no answer for how to deal with on a personal level. What do I do? In the early hours of the morning, I was in the presence of Jesus, crying out to him, presenting my needs, and now I wait upon him to answer my cry. You see, I deal with my personal financial crisis. I deal with the church's crisis. I deal with the radio crisis. I deal with them all in the same way. I bring them before Jesus. And I wait upon him. And I stand by faith that he is answering my cry. And I don't waver. I stand by faith. He's going to do it. I know right now he's moving in some of your hearts to bring total deliverance for December. I'm sorry, for January. December's covered. For January. I know it. I trust him. I've been down this road enough times. I've watched him. And the children of Israel have been down this road enough times. They have seen miraculous things that no human person has ever seen before. So now they're in the desert of sin, the wilderness of sin. And by the way, what is a wilderness? A wilderness is a homeless place. The wilderness is a homeless place until Jesus comes down. A wilderness is a place where you die, where the devil comes and tempts you, where everything is destroyed. It's a barren, bitter place until Jesus comes down. This world is a wilderness of sin. And we need Jesus. I'll say more about that in just a moment. But first, the Israelites begin to murmur. That's an interesting word. It is a word that means grumble, complain, anger, bitterness. And they are grumbling against Moses and Aaron. This is Exodus 16, verse 3. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. That sounds okay. But if you look at it in the Hebrew, they're literally cursing God. They're using God's name in vain. He's saying, There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. No, I don't think so. They were in slavery. They were not at the Ritz-Carlton. They were in slavery. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, in the face of such absolute rebellion, sin, in the face of that, you would think that God would say, okay, I've had it. You've seen my miracles. You've seen my deliverance. You've seen me carry you in my arms out here into this desert to feed you. And instead, you're just grumbling and murmuring and complaining, and you don't believe a word I'm saying. He didn't do that. Instead, he said, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The Lord is so kind. He is so merciful. I will rain down bread for you. What an awesome, awesome 
gift of God. This manna, as I shared with you last week, did not come through any human ability. It did not come through any work on man's part. It was a free gift from God. It was also food that was not from heaven, or not from from earth. It was from heaven. It was angels' food. This, This manna was the gift of God from heaven, and it was sent by the tons, thousands of tons, to feed them a perfectly balanced nutritional meal. They could boil it. They could grind it up and make cakes out of it. It tasted sweet like wafers. It was angel food. And God sent it to them. Now, I want to go to the 8th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. I'll begin reading with verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert those 40 years to humble you, to test you, in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna that neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, your feet did not swell during those forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. You might look, want to look at Hebrews, the twelfth chapter, verses 5 through 11. Also look at 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Now these three key words that I've given you today are a pathway that the American church is going to have to take. The American church is basically apostatized. It has turned to prosperity. It has turned to receiving that which is unclean. It has become morally corrupt and bankrupt. It has not abided by the commands of our Lord. Now, this is not new. This happened all through the Old Testament, but it always brought God's judgments. I'm standing by faith that God is going to pick the American church up, turn it upside down, and give it a good shaking. And all that is of uncleanness is going to drop. And all that is of righteousness will be built up. And so those three key words I want you to jot down and I want you to reference them. Repent. Be made righteous. Be purified. John Wesley spoke about this. He said that a man is entirely sanctified when he is made holy. He no longer walks in any known sin. Sin to be known is rebellion. Now, let's go to what Jesus said, and we'll spend the rest of our time here. In John, the sixth chapter, John, the sixth chapter, Let me begin reading with verse 48. I am the bread of life. Well, let's stop. What is bread? Bread is the staff of life. It is something that most all of us enjoy. It was a common meal with bread and wine vinegar in the Old Testament. You remember story of Ruth gleaned 
into the hot hours of the sun and was invited by Boaz to come and sit with the gleaning girls and the and the men who were cutting the grain to have grain and to have bread, the grain, and to have wine vinegar. Today it's not uncommon to have bread and cheese and a wine of some kind. I am the bread of life. Jesus is saying, I am the staff of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the desert, and they died. This is the bread coming down out of heaven, that anyone may eat of it and may not die. I am the living bread, having come down out of the heaven. If anyone may eat of this bread, he will live eternally. And yet the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give in behalf of the life of the world. So the Jews were disputing with one another, saying, How is this man able to give his his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you may eat the flesh of the Son of Man and may drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. The one eating my flesh and drinking my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is truly food, and my blood is truly drink. The one eating my flesh and drinking my blood remains in union with me, and I in union with him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, the one eating me, even that one will live because of me. This is the bread, having come down out of heaven, not of your fathers who ate the manna, they died. The one eating this bread will live eternally. He said these things while teaching in a synagogue at Capernaum. Then many from among his disciples, after having heard this, said, This word is a hard word. Who is able to hear it? Jesus Having known in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, Does this cause you to fall away? What then if you may observe the Son of Man going up where he was before? The Spirit is the one making alive. The flesh does not profit anything. The rhemas that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are certain ones among you who are not believing. Verse 65, and he was saying, For for this reason I have said to you that no one is able to come to me unless it may have been given to him by my Father. Verse 67, Jesus said to the twelve, You do not wish to go away, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the ramus of eternal life. That is, you have the breathed word of eternal life. In fact, we have believed and have known that you are the Christ, or you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Did not I choose you, the twelve? and yet one from among you is a devil. I've puzzled so over this passage, and I've prayed over it so many times. But let me try to talk about it in very practical terms. First, it is a spiritual word. That doesn't mean it's not factual. It is. We live in a flesh world. And so, 
We have to have things in a very practical manner for us. So let me talk about this passage in a very practical way. He's talking about taking the food that he offers, putting it on your plate, and then chewing it, meditating upon it, and swallowing it. Now, what does that look like in practical terms? Well, first it means I'm going to read the word, the logos. I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm going to listen to godly preachers, godly teachers, as they talk about how this actually has to be walked out. Now, one aspect that I did not speak about with you but I want to come back now and pick it up. In the book of John, I'm turning to it quickly. In the book of John, in the first chapter, we have Jesus coming as the word. He comes as the light of the world. The word became flesh and lived among us, and we observed his glory, glory as the only one of his kind from the Father, full of grace and truth. Or verse 9. This is John chapter 1, verse 9. He was the light, the true one, which enlightens every man coming into the world. So, the first thing that happens is Jesus comes and he begins to shine his light. And in the light, there can be no darkness. Darkness never overcomes light. It's just the opposite. So when I was a boy, I was an early waking up young boy, like many children. I was wide awake and ready to go. But I couldn't get up because my brothers were still asleep and I wasn't to wake them, and it wasn't time to get up. There was a time to get up, so I waited, but I was terrified, because in the early morning darkness, I could see all of these strange things, and I thought they were alive, around the windows and in the corners, shadows. I told my father about it. His response well, Raymond, I know how to take care of that here. And he went and got me a flashlight. And he said, take the flashlight to bed with you. And when you get scared, turn the flashlight on. And you'll see things as they truly are. Well, that's how it is with Jesus. When we begin to read the scriptures, when we begin to eat these words of God, reading and meditating, we begin to see things as they truly are. We see them in their true color. We see the texture of them. Now, you can read magazines and you can read novels and you can watch television and you can watch movies and you can play video games, but you will never see the true nature of them until the glory and light of Jesus shines upon them. And then you're going to see them for what they are. You're going to see that they are food that gives no nutrient to your soul. You're going to see that they don't bring peace to your heart. You're going to see them in their right color. You're going to see the violence, and it's going to turn your heart away. You're going to see the shallowness of the games. You're going to see the cheap and shoddiness of this world of tinsel. When Christian and his partner walked into Vanity Fair, they saw everything in this world in its true light because they had the word of God in their hearts. You can say, as many have said to me, Pastor, what's wrong with going to the movies? What's wrong with going to the dance? What's, going, what's wrong with going to the club? It's a good place. 
Well, it's a good place to you because you're not seeing things as they truly are in terms of eternal destiny. You're not seeing the true nature of that drug that you're taking into your body, that opiate that changes you. It's not reality. It's not real. It's false. It will kill you. As we read the Logos of God, as we pray to Jesus, we begin to see things in the light of God's understanding. And we begin to see things in the true light of what really is. As we begin then to eat the word, conviction comes regarding the filth we're sucking into our bodies, into our souls, into our hearts. It's very popular today to not date for young millennials. Instead of dating, they hang out together. They hang out and and then they get involved sexually. They put off getting married. They may live together. They may shack up. And they may pour their hearts out. They may pour their bodies out for another person time after time after time. And every time they do that, they're a little more damaged. They're a little more broken. Until some are incapable of understanding what a loving relationship is. People have said to me, I was in love, but I have fallen out of love. No, you can't fall out of love. When you are involved in a marriage, there are times when you may not feel like you love that other person at all. Part of what marriage is about is binding the two of you together and teaching you how to love, how to really love, how to lay your life down for that other person. And today, many millennials just want to say, I'm going to get what I can get. I'm going to grab what I can grab. What they're not understanding is that they're damaging their heart. They're damaging their inner being as we feast on the things of darkness, we damage our inner spirit until finally we're incapable of loving anyone. And we go from one person to the next, from one experience to the next, from one situation to another, and literally we are homeless. We have, we have no family. We're homeless. That's the wilderness of sin. In that wilderness of sin, as we begin to read the scriptures, as we begin to ask Jesus to feed us the bread of life, we begin to see the true color of everything. And they, they cause a revulsion in our soul. What used to attract us and make us lust after something now revolts us. It makes us want to vomit. We see the wickedness. We see the uncleanness. We see the ugliness of it. And we don't want to be a part of it. And we become what Henry Nouwen who was a favorite author of mine before he passed. He wrote about how we would share our life together and become wounded healers. Sharing the old rabbi's 
myth about how will you know when the Messiah comes? Well, you'll know because when the Messiah comes, you'll find him at the city gate where the wounded are, and you'll find him unwrapping his wounds and then rewrapping them and then helping others heal their wounds. Yes, Jesus came as a wounded healer. And he died for us as a wounded healer. He shed his blood for us. And so as we come to terms with the reality of what the world really is and the ugliness of it, then we begin to honestly repent. And then righteousness is the next step. Righteousness is where we have turned from the ugliness. We've turned from our sin. And we become morally right. Please hear what I'm trying to say to you. Catch it with me. When Jesus is speaking about the bread of life, he is speaking about the ability to become morally upright. Righteous, innocent. It's not sentimental. It's moral. It's the actions we take. It's the deliberate actions we take toward Jesus in the cutting off of bitterness and anger, in the cutting off of lust and and hatred, in the cutting off of all things evil. You know, I... We're almost out of time, but let me go here quickly, please. In the book of Romans, this is uh, chapter 1, verse 28. And as they did not approve to have God in true knowledge, that is, they didn't choose to see correctly, God handed them over to a reprobate mind to do the things that ought not to be done, having been filled with unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips or whispers, evil speakers, God-haters, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, and disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, without natural affection, unforgiving, unmerciful. And also, they approve the ones that are doing these things. They approve of them. So, the next step, as we begin to view the reality of what is actually there in the world, and we are revolted, we are repenting from participating in that, the next step is the actions we take are now moral actions. They are righteous actions. There is no righteousness without moral action. Righteousness is never in Scripture imputed. It is always imparted. Righteousness is a free gift of God that he imparts to us. He breaks the bondage of sin. He breaks the wickedness of our hearts. He releases us from everything that is of darkness. And we walk in the light. Now, he doesn't stop there. He goes the next step. And by the presence of the Holy Spirit, he begins to utterly, totally sanctify us. John Wesley called that crisis sanctification where he comes and touches us and totally restores us to his image in the Spirit. I want you to see correctly the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I know that if you see it correctly, you will be revolted by it. And turn and cry out to Jesus that he would feed you with his bread. 
strengthen you that you might act in moral and upright ways and purify you from all uncleanness. Well, we're out of time for this broadcast. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. The month of January is almost finished. It will be the end of this week. And we are $2,600 short of being able to cover this month's radio bill. The bill this month is one of the highest we pay by the broadcast day. And there are 23 broadcast days this month. And a dear brother who regularly helped carry this broadcast, giving 1500 to $2,000 a month, is no longer able to do that because of crisis in his family. I'm standing by faith that you will step forward as the Lord moves in your heart. You can call 877-534-0780 and you can speak with Drew. He will not ask you your name or your address, simply how much you would like at the prompting of the Spirit to give for the work of the gospel. And I thank each one of you who's already given. Thank you. I know Jesus is blessing you for that gift to him. Every penny you give will go to the work of the gospel for this radio broadcast. Thank you. Now let me pray with you. Oh Lord, I ask that you make plain to every person listening that they could see the reality of the world the flesh, and the devil. That they would be revolted by what they see and they would flee from all uncleanness and all wickedness. And that you, by your mighty power, the power of your Holy Spirit, would come and make them righteous. Cause them to act in a moral and upright way in every dealing with people and in every dealing with their own heart. And Lord, would you then move to purify them, removing even the old carnal nature that it would be utterly gone, not repressed, but gone. Lord, set your people free. Almighty God, I plead for the tsunami of your spirit to come and turn the church upside down and shake it in America that we could once more walk in fellowship with you and be fed your precious blood and body, Jesus. Thank you, my God. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I'm glad you listened today. I pray God's blessing for you. Make some decisions about reading the word, turning from darkness, Trust the Holy Spirit. He has only good for you. He will not harm you. I look forward to hearing from you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. His glory with great joy. With great joy. To the only God our Savior. Through Jesus Christ our Lord.